that makes you think. It'd be great to do a poll and uh, to find out. And I don't know if you'd be a bit like me, and you'd sort of think, ooh, mission, ooh, you know. Um, I, the, the things that, that I think about when I think about mission, kind of nervousness or, or fear of rejection or lack of confidence. You know, you don't sort of think, oh, yes, great, telling my friends about Jesus. Well, that's me anyway. Uh, Lou, a few weeks ago, was uh, speaking on prayer. And she said um, something that I found very interesting. She said, you know, I'm a beginner in prayer. Uh, you know, why am I speaking on that? And, and I thought that was really interesting because when I was preparing for this, I thought, you know, I, I'm a beginner in telling my friends about Jesus. Why am I speaking on this? And, uh, and as I was thinking about it, I think, well, well, maybe that's why God wants me to speak on it. Maybe God can use my failings, you know, my experiences, my mistakes this morning to speak to us. I hope so anyway. Um, you know, maybe there are times for you as well, like at work or, or wherever you are, where there's a topic of conversation going on and, and you think, oh, I'd like to say something, and, and, and you don't. And afterwards, maybe you regret it and you feel guilty. Or um, that's, that's my experience. Or, or maybe, um, like me as well, like maybe you look back to a time in your life when you found it easier to tell people about Jesus. You know, maybe at university or um, maybe when you just came back from New Wine or, or something like that. Um, when, I was, when I was 13, I went on a, a, a Christian camp, um, and um, it was a great Christian camp, and I remember the message you know, of forgiveness being really well explained, and I thought, oh, goodness, you know, my friend, you know, I had a really good, uh, my best friend at the time, you know, I was thinking, he needs to hear this, this is serious, and so I came home straight after camp, and I was just like, right, I need, I need to tell him, and we used to meet every week anyway just to, to play and stuff. And I remember being really embarrassed about sort of talking about these things in the house. So I remember we, we walked off to a, to a nearby field. It looks a bit like that, actually, like the um, sort of uh, harvest field. And, um, and I just told him, I was like, you know, this is important. You need to, you need to hear this. And, um, and I think back to then, I think, well, why, isn't it, why can't it be so simple now? Why can't I you know, just tell my friends, like, this is really important and tell them? Why do I make it into this more complicated thing? And maybe that's your experience too. Maybe you look back and you think, oh, it was easier then. But can I encourage you that actually when we look at the, the Bible, we think about one of the, the, the figures that, um, that was with Jesus, Peter. Do you remember Peter? His story is incredible, isn't it? When Jesus was on trial, three times people said, oh, you were with Jesus. You were with Jesus. And a bit like us when we're at work or at school or wherever, he said, oh, no, no, I'm not with him. I'm not with him. And then later, he goes on to be this amazing speaker, doesn't he? He stands up in front of incredible people, great crowds, and says, Jesus is alive. And isn't that great? Even Peter you know, went through those experiences that I was just talking about. So that's a great encouragement. Okay, let's have a look at um, Acts 1, 1 to 14. And it's on page 1092 in your Bibles in front of you. Okay, so we're going to read Acts 1, 1 to 14. Let me read that. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all these things that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. 
On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you still stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who, who was, has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Pardon me. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Okay, let's stop there. So Luke is writing this book, and um, it's his second book, so you may, you may be familiar with the, the book of Luke. And he's writing it here because he, he wants... Uh, Theophilus to know, um, no, sorry, he wants the, the people reading to this to know that Jesus is alive, okay, and he's writing the proofs of that. So he's, he's talking about the story of the early church, and you can see God um, working in that, and then we will know that, that Jesus is alive. One, one thing I, I really like is uh, verse 4, um, if you look at that. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he just sort of casually mentions you know, while he was eating with them. Isn't that a pretty good proof that Jesus is alive? And if someone's eating, they're pretty alive, aren't they? You know, there's food there and then there's not. You know, you can't sort of imagine it or like, you know, um, I think that's a great proof. Okay, so um, the first thing I want to think about this morning is um, it's with God's help that we tell people. If you ever look at um, verse 8, um, there you go. It's, um, it says, but we, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, what's that? What's the Holy Spirit? Or should I say, who is the Holy Spirit? Because we know it's a person, don't we? It's a, it's a distinct person, part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is, has divine status but it is at the same time different to the Son and the Father. It's a distinct um, person. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit lives in us. Jesus has been teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit for, for quite a while, so they would be quite familiar with this. I think, it, is it in verse 5? He says, oh no, not in verse 5. Um, After, uh, no, no, where does it say that? Um, he, he says he's been, he's been telling them about the Holy Spirit. And uh, one of the examples where during his time he would have been telling them about the Holy Spirit 
is John 16. I'm going to read that to you. So John 16, verse 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's what Jesus thinks of the Holy Spirit. Yeah? It's better for me to go away. Oh, that's the wrong one. There you go. It's better for me to go away. Because unless he goes away, we won't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't some sort of stopgap. Okay, well, Jesus is gone. We need to wait around a bit. Now we need something else. Jesus says, it's better for me to go away that you may have the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? Okay, so we have power when we've got the Holy Spirit in us. And if you read the book of Acts, you will notice there's a pattern going on. The Holy Spirit and mission, you can't separate them. They're inseparable. There's a a pattern. Everywhere that you read about the disciples telling people boldly, oh, the Holy Spirit gives them that boldness and that power. Oh, and the, the disciples do this, and the Holy Spirit is giving them that power. One example of that is... Acts 4.31. Um, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and the word of and spoke the word of the Lord, uh, the word of God, boldly. The Holy Spirit giving them that power to speak. Okay, so what else does it say? It says we are called to be witnesses. What does that mean? What's a, what's a witness? Um, we might be familiar with witnessing because. We, we, we look at like a, a jury setting and we think, oh, a witness. You know, someone that's, that's, that's been there for an event, that's seen it happen, and then that, that, you know, that, that talks about it. And we are called to be a witness of Jesus. You know, we've, we, we know about the things that have happened and we are called to, to, to say them. Uh, to the ends of the earth. Uh, now, that's great news for us because if it just said, oh, you are called to be my witnesses in Jerusalem... I mean, it wouldn't be true for us, wouldn't it? But no, the, the news is, is true for all of us. And that's great news. Um, but it's also, it's, it's even better than that. When you think about, um, we haven't got time to look at it now, but when you think about, like, revelations, and you have that imagery of us all being there and all uh, singing God's praise, when you think about that, and I want you to think, you know, if you look to your right and to your left, there's going to be, like, people, all sorts of different nationalities, singing, not English, different languages, praising God, all different, all different colours. It's a bit like when you, um, when you watch the World Cup and it's like the Brazilians with their samba and like the Italians like banging on drums and stuff. It's going to be like that. We're all going to be different, praising the same God. That's such an incredible God that we, that we have, that he is uh, relevant to each of us, um, wherever we're from, and that's, that's going to be great. That's why uh, world mission is such important. Okay, and then in verse 10, it says, you know, we don't, we don't have time to stand around looking at the sky. You know, the, the disciples are there, and they're, they're sort of looking up at the sky, thinking, well, now what happens? That's inappropriate, you know. They've just been given a job to do, and it's the same for us. We've been given a job to do. It's not, you know, it's not appropriate for us, us to be standing around waiting. Um, we've got a job to get on with. And then uh, verse 13, let me read that. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were, and there's lots of people present, and they all joined constantly together in prayer. 
You see, they, they were not alone. They joined together, didn't they? And I wonder whether... Sometimes we make that mistake of thinking that telling our friends about Jesus is something that we need to do on our own. It's something that we do in the workplace or somewhere that, something that we do at school. And we, we don't think, oh, how, what, what the, you know, if we can do this together. Um, on a, a Monday evening, I, uh, I like to play table tennis. And uh, one of the things I've started to try and do is, um, before table tennis, I invite some of my friends over, uh, some of them that know Jesus and some of them that don't. And the idea is that I hope that we'll be able to mix together. And those that don't yet know Jesus will be able to see the difference that um, those that do know Jesus, what, what, it may, what the difference it makes in our lives. You know, they'll be able to see that community uh, that we have. That's my hope anyway. But, you know, are there ways that we can think of that, um, you know, that we can involve other people in, in our mission? Maybe at work we feel really isolated. Maybe we're the only Christian in our department or, or something. Maybe we, you know, maybe, um, yeah, maybe at school you're the only Christian in your class. Or in your retirement home, maybe you're the only Christian there. Are there ways in which we can involve other people in our mission? And if we have a quick look back to that Acts 4, um, it says, so Peter and John are in a situation, and what do they do? On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. See that? So, so that Peter and John are in a bit of a situation. And what do they do? They report back and they lift their voices together in prayer. I wonder if that's something that we can do together. Um, the disciples certainly saw the need for it um, because they gathered together in Acts 1, didn't they, to, to pray together. And I wonder whether you know, we can be praying for one another on our front lines. Okay, let's have a look at um, Acts 8. If you flick to page 1101, a bit further on in the book of Acts. And I'm going to read the first... I'm going to read verse 1 and 4. I'm not going to read the first tiny bit about Saul approving the killing. On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then down to verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Okay, did you notice that? So all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Isn't that interesting? It's not talking about the sort of elite here, right? You go to the apostles and they start telling people about Jesus. It's saying all except the apostles. You know, witnessing isn't an optional thing in Christianity. It's the work that Jesus has given us, the church, to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's one of our core values at church. You know, we want everything that we do to have that mission focus, to be thinking about, oh, how can we tell more people about Jesus? And I think, well, I hope that that's true for our lives as well. We want to be thinking, oh, how can everything I do in my life, you know, how can we be thinking about 
um, telling more people about Jesus. Um, I heard a stutter a few few weeks ago, and unfortunately, the problem is, I can't actually remember the number, but the stat still works. Um, The stat goes something like this. There are about 10%, sorry if it's incorrect, of people in the UK that know a Christian. Okay? 10%. Um, Now, if we don't tell those people, so that, that stat means that basically your neighbours, your colleagues, your school friends, your people uh, with you in your university halls, they're the lucky ones. They're in that 10%, okay? If we don't tell our friends, our colleagues, our neighbours about Jesus, that stat reduces. It's slightly annoying because I can't remember the number, but imagine if we only tell half of them. That's 5%. You see what I'm saying? So if only 10% of the people in the UK know a Christian and we tell half of them, and that's 5%. So the number goes down. Okay. Right, so we're going to have a look at um, John 4. I think here's an option. John 4, 4 to 42. And it's on page 1066. Once you've found it, Rob is going to play it for us. Rather than read it, I'm going to use a video to help us. So when Jesus heard what was being said, he left Judea and went back to Galilee. On his way there, he had to go through Samaria. In Samaria, he came to a town named Sychar which was not far from the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by the trip, sat down by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw some water. Give me a drink of water. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. So how can you ask me for a drink? Jews will not use the same cups and bowls that Samaritans use. If you only knew what God gives, and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would ask him. And he would give you a life-giving water. Sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get that life-giving water? It was our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well. He and his children and his flocks all drank from it. You don't claim to be greater than Jacob, do you? Those who drink this water will get thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring which will provide them with life-giving water and give them eternal life. Sir, give me that water. Then I will never be thirsty again. Nor will I have to come here to draw water. Go and call your husband and come back. I don't have a husband. You're right when you say you don't have a husband. You've been married to five men and the man you live with now is not really your husband. You have told me the truth. 
You are a prophet, sir. My Samaritan ancestors worshipped God on this mountain. But you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where we should worship God. Believe me, woman. The time will come when people will not worship the Father either on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans do not really know whom you worship. But we Jews know whom we worship because it is from the Jews that salvation comes. But the time is coming. And is already here. When by the power of God's spirit, people will worship the Father as he really is, offering him the true worship that he wants. God is spirit. And only by the power of his spirit can people worship him as he really is. I know that the Messiah will come. And when he comes, he will tell us everything. I am he. I, who am talking with you. At that moment, Jesus' disciples returned, and they were greatly surprised to find him talking with a woman. But none of them said to her, What do you want? Or asked him, Why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the town. Come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? So they left the town and went to Jesus. In the meantime, the disciples were begging Jesus, Teacher, have something to eat. But he answered, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples started asking among themselves, Could somebody have brought him food? My food is to obey the will of the one who sent me and to finish the work he gave me to do. You have a saying. Four more months and then the harvest. But I tell you, take a good look at the fields. The crops are now ripe and ready to be harvested. The one who reaps the harvest is being paid and gathers the crops for eternal life. So the one who plants and the one who reaps will be glad together. For the saying is true. Someone plants, someone else reaps. I have sent you to reap the harvest in a field where you did not work. Others work there. And you profit from their work. Many of the Samaritans in that town believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they begged him to stay with them. And Jesus stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his message, and they told the woman, We believe now, not because of what you said, but because we ourselves have heard him, and we know that he really is the savior of the world. After spending two days there, Jesus left and went to Galilee, for he himself had said, prophets are not respected in their own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the people there welcomed him because they had gone to the Passover festival in Jerusalem and had seen everything that he had done during the festival. Great, thank you, Rob. Okay, keep the passage in front of you. Um, so what's happening here? Well, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman, and um, the passage tells us a few things about her. Well, first of all, she goes to the well alone. 
Okay, it doesn't specify exactly what's going on, but we imagine that because she's going alone, she might have a, a bad reputation. In fact, later it says that she, you know, she's had uh, five husbands, so we, it could be that that's what's going on. And so if you were reading the pass- this passage and you were someone at that time, alarm bells would be going ringing off. What is Jesus doing here? He is breaking all sorts of social conventions. He's talking to a woman. She's from Samaria, and she's probably a bad reputation. Whoa, what is going on? Okay. And in the discussion, gradually the, the woman comes to realize um, who Jesus is, doesn't she? And she realizes that she needs what Jesus has to offer. She needs this living water um, that Jesus offers. In this case, Jesus is talking about the spirit that gives eternal life. And um, it's important that we, we think about this this morning, and, you, and, you, and you'll see you'll see why in a bit, Um, it's important that we realize that we need this gift, don't we? We need what Jesus has to offer. We fall short of that standard that's required, don't we? We may not have five husbands, but we've also messed up. There are times in my life when I don't even live up to my own standard, and I know that God has a much, much higher standard. And Jesus gives us what we need He gets us that forgiveness by paying the price himself. He saves us. He is a wonderful saviour. He is amazing. It's just important that we again remind ourselves of how incredible he is. And do we realise that our friends need Jesus? They also need the saviour. Have we lost a a sense of urgency? Are we... Have we become lazy? Now, I don't know if, if I were to tell you, hang on, guys, Jesus is coming back in a month's time, okay? So the 8th of December. I'll give you a deadline, okay? How would that change? If you were to just think about it, what would you do in this next month? Would you go tell your neighbors, your friends, the people, people you love? I think you would. Do we realize that the situation is urgent and important? So what does the, the woman do? Well, she, the passage even says she leaves her jar behind. And she, she abandons her jar. And she runs into town to tell the people there that she's met this person, doesn't she? And so we, we've gone from a situation where she goes to a well alone to now she's running to the town, presumably the people that she's scared of, to tell them. She leaves her jar, she runs. Isn't that incredible? And so what does she do? She, she shares the difference that Jesus has made in her life. This man told me everything. People love testimonies. People love to hear our stories, don't they? Um, for a start, people can't argue with our stories. They can't say, oh, no, 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 that didn't happen or something. You know, we know what happened. But they also like it because they can see how it's real and how it's relevant if you just talk about, about God as being a sort of abstract thing, something that, oh, I spend a bit of time with God or, or whatever, and it doesn't apply to real life, they see it as something a bit di- disconnected. If you can tell your friends, your colleagues, you know, actually, this is the difference that Jesus makes in my day-to-day life when I'm doing this, when I'm doing that. People can see that it's something that's real. One of the things that God has been challenging me with recently and um, it's not what I wanted to hear at all. Um, and maybe he's challenging us all with this. 
is, you know, maybe we need to be brave. Maybe we need to step out of it. And, and I don't just mean, you know, maybe we need to man up. Not at all. Because actually, when we think about being brave, it's about being brave in the spirit, isn't it? It's not just a sort of thing we can try harder at. We need the spirit to help us in at that. We need to be spirit-filled to be brave. Um, I thought I'd share with you... Oh, there you go. Um, if you were on the away day uh, last year... I gather you went through, you would maybe give one of these, okay? And these are uh, six things that Mark Green um, has said, you know, how we can be a Christian at work and how we can be different. I don't have long to go through each of these, but what I'm going to do is there's a nice little summary uh, of these, and I'm going to post these on our Twitter and Facebook accounts so um, you'll be able to find them. Um, but yes, so these are six things, six M things that... Um, Mark Green suggests how we can be different at work, school, university, wherever we're, wherever we're based. Okay, so he first says, you know, make good work. Doing good work serves other people. You know, it contributes to human flourishing and stewards creation that God gives us. So making good work. Modeling godly character. Um, so that's, you know, in easy or difficult situations growing more Christ-like in the way that we respond, in the way that we deal with things. Ministering grace and love, so being loving and caring. That's about the way we treat people, not just our, the people like, that we deal with all the time, but maybe like shop assistants that you know, serve us or, or whatever. A molding culture. That's about you know, maybe in your workplace or, or again at university or changing the way that things are done, changing the way that things happen. Being a mouthpiece for truth and justice. That's being prepared to speak up for what is fair, for what's just. And then finally, being a messenger of the gospel. When we do have those opportunities, being prepared to share what a difference Jesus um, makes in our lives. And um, so I was thinking about these, and and actually, I was thinking about them and thinking, you know, work for me can be quite hard how am I supposed to be like these, you know, even when it's hard? And, and, th- and then it reminded me that actually it's about the Spirit doing these things in us, and we can't just try and do better at these things. We need the Spirit to be helping us. Because if you're... My workplace is actually... I was thinking, you know, ha- they're great people. They're really friendly people in my workplace. They're actually doing a lot of these things. Like, you know, they, wouldn't stand, they would stand against injustice. If someone's having a hard day, they would buy them a bottle of water and stuff like that. And I was just thinking, you know, how am I supposed to stand out and be different when these guys are just so great? And, um, and it was making me think, well, well, actually, it's actually when it's hard that we are different. Because we all want, you know, whether we're Christians or not, we want to be nice and and pleasant people. But when the going gets tough, we can't try to be nice. That transforming power of the Spirit makes us different. It can't be um, just um, our own struggles that makes us different people. Finally, I want to um, leave you with with my final point, which is it's got to come from our hearts. We can't con people. If we're not excited about Jesus, it's going to be hard for them to be excited about Jesus. 
um, recently, one of my uh, colleagues, she, was, she came into work and we were, we were just talking about stuff and, and um, she was talking about a TV series that she was watching and she said, oh, I watched eight yesterday or whatever, I just can't get enough of it. I, can't, I know it's a bit sad, she said, but I can't wait till I get home to watch the next episode. Um, and, and you can sense that excitement that you know, she really loves it. And it's contagious and you know, it makes me think, oh, maybe it's quite a good TV series. Um, and it's got to be like that when we talk about Jesus as well. You know, we can't con people. If we're not excited about Jesus, then you know, people are going to see um, if we're sort of dutifully talking about, about him. And so... Yeah. Yeah. Luke 6.45 says this. Um, a good person produces good from the treasure from the good treasure of his heart. An evil person produces evil from an evil treasure because the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. From the overflow of the heart. So we've got to be excited about Jesus. So how can we do that? How can we make sure that we're not speaking dutifully about Jesus, but we're excited about him? We need to make him our delight we need to gaze upon him. We need to worship him. We need to love him. We need to make him the thing we love the most. And then when we talk about him, people will see. They'll be able, they'll be able to notice. They'll be like, wow, this guy, you know, even if he doesn't quite know what he's saying or how to say it, he loves Jesus. And they'll be able to see that. Okay, so what we've been thinking about, we've seen that um, Jesus has a job for us. We have a job to do. We are called with the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness to everyone together. And we've seen that we need Jesus. is amazing. Jesus is that solution. And, we, and that's why I was saying, you know, we need to, we need to realize that for the third point. You know, we need to be in love with this person of Jesus that saves us. And our friends need him too. And then out of that realization that we need him and he's amazing, it's out of our love for Jesus that we speak. It's got to come from the heart. It's got to come from our love for Jesus. Amen.